Welcome to Teaching from Trinity, a weekly podcast from Trinity Lutheran Church in Rupert, Idaho. For the months of January through May, Rev. Dr. James Von Bush is leading this class exploring the book of Revelation. If you would like the handout to accompany this week's lesson, please visit our website, tlcrupert.com. You can find them on the virtual attendance page under the home tab. Thank you for listening. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we rejoice in your goodness, your greatness, your love, and your, um, your power and strength, that it is by your strong arm that you save us. And it is your will that we would come to know you in a deeper way and understand your love in greater depths. So that's our prayer this morning. As we look into the book of Revelation, Father, the way you've revealed to us things that are happening in heaven and on earth, helping us to see you in a a deeper and and greater understanding and, and to understand the depth and height, length and width of your love for each one that you have created. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So yeah, Revelation chapter 8. We're going to make it into the trumpets today because when we look at the seventh seal, all we have to say about it is, oh, but wait, but wait, I need to read Revelation 1 verse 1 before we go any further. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ himself. And as we have talked about already, but just to reiterate, in the Gospel of John, we see the focus of his full divinity and full humanity. We see that throughout the Gospel, that John is writing about Jesus Christ and certainly showing his full humanity, but also recognizing that he is fully divine. He is the Son of God. When he writes the book of Revelation, as Jesus Christ is revealed there, we see in a greater understanding, in a greater way, his true divinity, and that he is the Lamb that was slain for our forgiveness. So when we get to Revelation chapter 8, reading verse 1, when the Lamb, speaking of Jesus Christ, opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. The end. That's what that happens, the seventh seal. There's silence in heaven. Think about this for a minute. There's been so much activity. There's been angels speaking. There's been sounds of roaring and thunder. And and then all of a sudden, when the seventh seal is open. Silence. Silence. Immediately. And John says it lasted for about half an hour. People have tried to speculate on what that means. Some have considered that it's like the seventh day in creation, when God finished his work and then it was done. It was complete. Some have said that it was just so much awe. I mean, what can you say? What can you do? When all of a sudden you stand in the presence of the Almighty God and you realize what this means and you're just speechless. What is there else to be said? And some have speculated that maybe it was this uh, transition moment into something else 
And so the silence is meant to say, just wait for the next thing. Some have tried to have communicated the idea that it's really a, a respect, a respect and honor moment where the conclusion has happened. You finished that book or watched the movie and it's over and you're just so moved by it. You, you just can't even do anything. Happens to us every time we watch The Lord of the Rings. So after the last one, The Return of the King is over and the credits are scrolling and the music is playing, we all just sit there. <sighs> but they did that in heaven, says for half an hour. The seventh seal communicates to us, I think, above all else, the end. But it's only the first verse of chapter 8. There's still some more chapters to go, so what does that mean? Well, when we start looking at the seven trumpets, we're going to discover that the seven trumpets are actually happening simultaneously with the seven seals. A mistake that has been made in reading the book of Revelation is to think that it's all written in chronological order from chapter 1 to chapter 22. It's all chronological. But we must remember, this is talking about the God who was, who is, who is to come. It includes all of that. And what we are given with the seven trumpets is another perspective of the things that are happening, the things that God is doing at the same time that the seals are being opened. And so it's going to give us a deeper and a broader understanding as we go back through. Because the seven seals just couldn't encompass everything that God is going to reveal. And so he also uses these trumpets. In Joshua chapter nine, uh, 6, I'm not going to turn there, I'm just going to relate the story briefly. I'm sure you know it very well if you spend any amount of time in Sunday school or, or any, you know, our lectionary covers it occasionally. It's the story of Jericho, Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. They've sang songs about it, you know, it's, there's all kinds of little movie clips or whatever. Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. So they have been in the wilderness for 40 years and God has brought them back once again to the promised land to see if this time they will trust him to enter into the promised land that he is giving them. It was a test of their faith. Moses is dead. And now Joshua is leading the people of Israel into the promised land. And it's time to, the first time, you know, they cross the Jordan River and the first battle that they are going to encounter is at Jericho. A fortified city, we're told, with great walls and towers and, and security. And the people are thinking, how can we ever penetrate that kind of a fortress? The walls were considered to be so thick that people actually dwelt. We know that Rahab's apartment was in the wall. It was part of the wall that surrounded the city. And so people, I mean, actually, this was a, a mighty fortress. And what do they do? What's the instruction God gives to them? Blow trumpets. Each day, the whole army would walk around the city of Jericho one time blowing trumpets. They did that for six days in a row. They would just walk around the city blowing trumpets, and then they'd go back to camp. And then on the seventh day, the entire army walked around the city of Jericho seven times 
blowing their trumpets. And on the seventh time, they were supposed to give a a mighty blast on the trumpets and all of them would shout and the walls came down, right? You remember that from Sunday school. And then the army just marched right in because all the walls had collapsed. People have also tried to speculate. Well, it must have just been because they all shouted and blew their trumpet at the same time that it knocked down the walls. Really? We'll go to any extreme to take away the credit that belongs to God. God gets all the credit. We do this with Christ all the time. We try and say, I participated. I did something in my salvation. I contributed something. And what we're doing is we're saying, Christ doesn't get all the credit. We do it all the time. So, God knocked the walls down. And he did so in concert with them blowing the trumpets. That's what he said. Keep that in mind now as we look at the seven trumpets in the book of Revelation. Because what was happening as they marched around the city each day blowing the trumpets, it was a warning to the people of Jericho. That's what it was, and that's what these seven trumpets are. They are a warning. A warning to people. As they marched around every day, it was a warning. Rahab even told the two spies that stayed with her, we know that God is going to give this city to you. We know that God is going to conquer us. We're all afraid of you and your God. We know it's going to happen. And now each day for six days in a row and then seven times on the seventh day, they blow the trumpets as a warning, a signaling that God is judging. They were afraid of God's judgment. And the trumpets were signaling that judgment for them. So as we look through these purpose statements, the seven trumpets being a warning to the people, the first purpose is the judgments of God. The judgments of God. As I mentioned, these are simultaneous with the seals, but they are very different than the seven seals. And we'll explore that in just a few moments. But what I want to focus on here is, it is God's judgment against those who are not his people. This is serious. The trumpets are warning signals for people who are not his people. Another fallacy that we fall that can, you know, is permeating the world and especially our culture will say things like, well, everybody's God's child. It's not true. Everybody is created by God, but not everybody is God's child. That would be false based on the scriptures. We become, otherwise, why do we even focus on baptism as adoption into God's family when he places his name on us? Let's just throw out baptism because it doesn't mean anything then if everybody is God's child. Now let me rephrase that and make sure we're all on the same page. We believe God does a miraculous work in baptism because he places his name upon the person receiving baptism and is adopted into his family and becomes his child. So there is a great difference. Not everybody is God's, are, are concluded in God's people. And that's one of the things we're going to see here in the book of Revelation and the seven trumpets is this emphasis that there is a distinction between those who are God's people and those who are not And the warning of the trumpets is judgments against those who are not his people. 
people look at the Old Testament and say, boy, God was mean back then. God was a cruel God back then. I sure am glad he's a nice God in the New Testament. He's the same God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the Old Testament is full of love and grace and mercy, forgiveness. Just like the New Testament is also full of judgment and wrath and punishment. He is the same God throughout all. What it tells us also in the second purpose is the steadfastness of the church. The seven trumpets are a warning, first to judgments for those who are not God's people, and then also a warning to the church to remain steadfast. And so as we look at these trumpets, you will hear the message repeatedly, church, be steadfast. Church, stand firm. So one of the purposes of these warnings, these trumpets, is for the church to be steadfast. The next purpose is for the repentance of sinners. The repentance of sinners. Without the law, so what we're talking about here is law and gospel. Without the law, we do not see that we are spiritually sick. And so we'll not receive the healing that is offered. Law and gospel. The law points out to us our not just sickness and illness, but that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are guilty according to the law. The law points that out, points out our need, so that we are ready to receive the healing work of Jesus Christ. So, Without the law, we do not see that we are spiritually sick, and therefore we do not receive the healing that is offered. We see this in the Gospel of Mark. As a lawyer came to Jesus in order to justify himself with his own works, his own abilities, what he has done, claiming that he had, in fact, kept the law. But since he only looked to himself and not to God, he was unable to fix his spiritual problems, meaning he was unable to save himself. In contrast, many came to Jesus with nothing but a plea of helplessness and need, and those people received. Jesus provided exactly what they needed and more. The grace and mercy and forgiveness that they needed and the healing that he was giving to them. Giving the grace of God, the gospel, to a person who claims to keep the law perfectly is ineffective and unhelpful because the self-righteous person sees no need for grace and may even consider it to be insulting. In fact, Walther says in his book on distinguishing between law and gospel, to give the gospel to someone who doesn't think they need it actually solidifies them in their self-righteousness. Does that make sense? Unless they have received the law first and said, I need the gospel, giving them grace first says, and you're doing just fine. And actually secures them in their own self-righteousness and condemnation. So we must give law and grace and be in tune enough with what the person needs to hear. Does this person need to hear the law? Are they relying on themselves and their own works and their self-righteousness? They think they're getting it done and doing okay? Or do they need to hear the gospel? 
because they recognize their brokenness and their need for grace and forgiveness. That's us, church, being faithful, faithful because of our faith. Being faithful and steadfast to deliver law and gospel. They don't see that they are sick, the, the self-righteous person, but when God's grace is given to a person burdened and afraid under the condemnation of the law, that's when they find restoration, healing, and new life in Christ. Law and gospel, and giving them to people faithfully. Why? For the repentance of sinners. That's why we do that. We share the law and the gospel so that people will repent. That's what these seven trumpets and the warning is about. And then the next purpose, the fourth one, the reconciliation of God and mankind. That's what these seven trumpets are are blasting the warning about is for reconciliation. That's the ultimate and end goal of God in sending his son Jesus Christ is reconciliation. Thinking about seven trumpets, the number seven, divine perfection, completion. It's also three, the number of the Trinity, God's number, added together with four, corporate humanity, reconciliation. This is the goal of God. His desire is that none would perish, but that everyone would experience forgiveness and everlasting life with him. So those are the four purposes that we see in the trumpets. They're all about signaling and sending the message. That's, this is not talking about musical instruments in the orchestra. This is talking about the horns that would be blasted by the army, communicating with one another, from the, the tower guard that would be announcing either enemies coming or people returning. So these are signaling trumpets, blown to communicate. So the introduction to the trumpets is, as I just mentioned, trumpets were a means of signaling. But before we can talk about the trumpets anymore, John throws these couple of verses right in the midst of it. Just when we were thinking, okay, we're going to find out what these mysterious trumpets are all about, let's talk about some incense first. So chapter 8, I'm going to read verses 3 through 5. I'm going to start with verse 2. Then I saw seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And then verse 3. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings of lightning, and an earthquake. This is an incredible picture. Consider what's happening in this place. So the the angels have received the seven trumpets, and then another angel, no trumpet, the the sense the incense and the censer to burn it and they're at the altar what is happening in this moment well we're told it's the prayers of God's people are coming up and we're told this throughout the scriptures coming up to God like a fragrant offering a wonderful aroma that's how God views your prayers just a wonderful breathes it in when we pray that's how God receives our prayers 
takes them in. He listens and he breathes them in. And he receives our requests and our prayers and our supplications and our thanksgivings. But what's this, inc- this other incense and censor all about? What's that coming from? Because it's not from the angel. It was given to him there at the altar. We are convinced that this is Christ, our high priest, praying on your behalf. And his prayers, his mediation is being mixed together with your prayers. Isn't that powerful? You wonder if God's hearing your prayers. He is. He's hearing them and He's receiving them. And not only that, your prayers are being intermixed, interwoven, mixed together with the... I mean, not just like you know, um, threads being woven together, but the, the smoke of the incense blending together, indistinguishable now. Your prayers... And the, inter- and the interventions and the, and the mediation by Christ on your behalf. All presented. Christ's interse- intercessions mixed with the saints. So when we as saints pray, thy kingdom come. That is mixed together with the prayers of Christ. My kingdom come. When the saints pray... For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Let's recognize the force of that prayer. When we're just not rattling it off, it's not just done by rote memory. We are praying along with Christ that his kingdom would be the kingdom and it would be power and glory and forever and ever. Mixed together with the prayers of Christ. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, of course, as we learned in catechism, This is, we're asking for the kingdom of God to rule in our hearts and to rule in his church and to rule in this world. And we know that we are agreeing with Christ because that is his, that is what he's told us to pray. He is praying the same thing. My kingdom come. My kingdom grow. My kingdom reach into all the nations and tongues and tribes on earth. That's what Jesus is praying. And when we pray along with him, thy kingdom come, we are praying the same thing. As his church militant on this earth, we talked about that before, the church militant, the church triumphant, thy kingdom come is the prayer of the church militant saying, grow your kingdom and help us serve this kingdom in this place. Yes. Trumpets were a means of signaling. Is that what? Angels was given blank incense. Oh, much. Much. Okay. Yeah. Did I leave a blank that I didn't tell you to fill in? I didn't hear it. Okay. You want to put the wrong thing on there? Sorry. You know what I? Here, just just a little confessional moment. Okay. I changed the handout between when I did mine and when I did yours. Yeah. Just yours. Though. Just yours, though. <laughs> no, so you all have you have more. I didn't. I forgot to tell you that one. So am I missing anything else? Okay. Yes. I brought mine from last week because we hadn't finished. Oh well, now I, it's on this one, so you're good. But that's thank you, Lucille, because that is. Yeah, we were told the angel was given much, lots. The idea is an abundance of incense. Christ is continually praying for us and with us and 
on our behalf. Lots and lots. So thank you. Well, you know, you talk about the, the Lord doesn't hear your prayers. Oh, yes, he does. Yes, he does. <laughs> yes, he does, because Laverne didn't have heat for two weeks. She got heat and electricity yesterday. Wow. So I prayed so hard, <laughs> and then I prayed that the Lord would give us a good weather today. You know, I hope you're on the prayer team, Lucille. <laughs> <laughs> I pray all day long anyway, so... Amen, amen. God, he does listen to our prayers. Yeah. Yes. And it's a, I hope it's comforting to know that Jesus is praying for you as well. So, let's revisit the seals briefly, because like I mentioned, the trumpets are happening simultaneously with the seals, but they are different. When the seals were opened, even there is a difference, right? The seals get opened, the trumpets are blown. That's significant for us as we understand the symbolism of Revelation. When we looked at the seals, we heard that they represented things like false religions. That was the first horseman that came riding out. False religions. On a white horse, but he was an imposter. He was not Christ. And so we saw that there were false religions. And that's been happening, right? There's a plethora of false religions from every generation. There has been violence among humanity. That was the second horseman. True statement? Violence among humanity. Here's the interesting thing. I just read this statistic. I had heard it before, but I read it again this week. More people have been killed in wars in the 20th and 21st century than all of other recorded history. We've been killing people more and more and more. So one, the second horseman represents the violence among humanity. The next one was scarcity mixed in with apathy. That was where, you know, uh, a bag of bread, some of them said difference, a bag of gold was what was required to buy a loaf of bread. That's how it's described there in the book of Revelation. You could work all day and still not have enough money to eat a meal. And that was how scarce things were. And yet those who had stuff didn't care. Didn't care about anybody else. Is that not relevant? People going without and those who have don't care. And then there were natural disasters and ongoing tribulation and persecution. Those are the seven seals. And that is happening continuously. So when we consider the trumpets, we must ask this next question. To whom are the trumpets directed? Because the seals include everybody. There is no distinction between believers and non-believers with regards to the seven seals. We all experience the violence and the scarcity and the apathy and the false religions we're surrounded by. And so... That there's no distinction, 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 I'll get that word out, among humanity in the seven seals. But in the trumpets, there is. The trumpets are directed at those who reject the grace and gospel of God. That's who the trumpets are primarily directed at. Those who have rejected the grace and gospel of God. Now, here's some things to keep in mind. Of course, as we look at the seven trumpets, it will stir something within us. Hopefully, what it stirs in us is the same heart and mindset and attitude of Christ who 
equal with God, chose to submit himself to obedience, even death on a cross for our salvation. Hopefully, as we read the seven trumpets, we understand that these are directed as God's judgment towards those who have rejected him. It will stir within us the same attitude as Christ and long for the salvation of others. Fill our hearts with compassion. When we hear the signal trumpets, it will stir us and move us to proclaim the law and gospel for their repentance and reconciliation with God. This includes... When I mention the idea of those who reject the grace and gospel of God, this includes maybe sometimes those who have been baptized and confirmed. A person who has been baptized and confirmed can still reject the grace and gospel of God. Just because they've been baptized and confirmed and attend church doesn't mean that these trumpets aren't signaling something for them. We are God's people through faith in Christ. And we are told repeatedly throughout the scriptures that a person, whether it was Old Testament, circumcision, Paul says, what God wants is circumcision of the heart. Sure, you were circumcised at eight days old and you followed the law. And even that rich ruler that came to Jesus says, what must I do? And Jesus says, if you're going to go by the law, which you think you have kept, there's always one more thing you have to do. And so get busy. He had been circumcised. He had been confirmed in the Jewish way. He was living by the law, attending the synagogue, offering the sacrifices, but he was still relying on his own works. He had rejected the gospel and grace of God. And so this is, this is, I think, a moment for us to pause and reflect. Not to scare you into anything, but to help us to reflect on this is anyone who rejects the grace and gospel of God and thinks they're earning their own way is condemned. Fred, I could see it in your eyes. I think so, Fred, if I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, works righteousness is fulfilling the law. The interesting thing is that what we as humanity has done, especially with the false religions, is we've come up with our own law. We've come up with our own standard. And so every false religion, every false religion has a standard that has to be met, that they have contrived on their own, and then they hold people accountable for that. Well, God said, here's the law, and if you want to, his law, his standard. And if you want to work your way in, you have to do that law. And that's why Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you have to be perfect, because that's what his law requires. Does that help, Fred? Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? I have another one. <laughs> Tongue and nation, and yep. Yes. And we all 
come until all nations have heard that. Now, I, I don't have that all together. Um, but that's where my wonder is. Oh well, Fred. I just want to make sure we clearly interpret what you're what you're referring to in Revelation. Really, it's just German Lutherans that are going to be in heaven. <laughs> yeah, and so we have many theologians or folks have speculated that word that that is spoken to us in Revelation that says. And what God is talking about there is the all-inclusiveness of the gospel. Every tribe, tongue, nation, every people, group, every person. And so the idea is the all-inclusiveness of the gospel, not necessarily a criteria for Christ's return. Now, many people have thought, well, to fulfill that promise, does that mean that every tribe and tongue and nation, every person, person and people group on the earth has to hear the gospel and then Christ will return. So you can get off in the deep weeds there. Um, I, I really think the emphasis on is on everyone. Everyone's included. Everyone needs the gospel and everyone gets the gospel. That's a, now now you've got us off. Wow. Okay. <laughs> My goal was the seven trumpets, Fred. <laughs> We're actually that is addressed uh, in the chapters ahead. If I could kind of postpone that question a little bit, Fred, I will emphasize even in the book of Romans, Paul addresses that a little bit because it's an age-old question. What about those who haven't heard? So in chapter one of Romans, Paul says that that nobody has an excuse. You can see the invisible qualities of God in everything he's made. And we know that to be true. When you see somebody's work, whether it be an artist who paints, or you hear something, or you see a craftsman's work, I know who that is. I know who did that. I can tell their work. And Paul is saying, you just look around, and you can see the invisible qualities and character of an almighty God. He says, Nobody has an excuse. And then in chapter 10, he adds to it in Romans and says, on the flip side, we as God's people have the obligation as well as the opportunity to be those who preach the word of long gospel. So that, because how has faith happened? Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. So can I leave it there for a little bit, Fred? Sure. All right, you probably just stirred everybody else's questions up too. <laughs> Our mothers told us the only ones that are going to heaven are Lutherans, and you know that. There's nobody else going to heaven. Yeah, let's just clarify that one. We don't even get a special section in heaven, you know. All inclusive, all of God's people. So let's look at chapter 8, verses 6 through 12 of the book of Revelation. And as I read this about the first four trumpets, I anticipate. And even in those note cards you turned in when we first started this and some of the questions you had, some folks said, the book of Revelation has always been so confusing and terrifying, and then you leave it in the hands of Hollywood, and it doesn't help. And, and so when I read these, there is a frightful aspect to them. These trumpets are frightful. 
and they're meant to be. So, chapter 8, verses 6 through 12. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain, burning with fire, was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. If you try and make this literal, you're going to lose your mind. It's figurative. And there are some specific messages that are given to us in this language. So let's work our way through it, and uh, we'll see what these trumpets are signaling. The first trumpet, hail, fire, and blood. These are unnatural. How do you have hail and fire together? One of them's going to lose out. Either the fire's going to be put out or the hail's going to melt, right? And then where does this blood come from? Let's just mix that into the hail and the fire. What is it? So it's completely unnatural. It's an unnatural combination, which means to us, if it's unnatural, it's supernatural. The first trumpet communicates the message to us very clearly that, everything's, that everything that's being signaled and done with these trumpets is supernatural. The seals we could look at and say, oh, that's a natural occurrence. Earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, those all are natural occurrences. Some having and some not having, that happens all the time. But this, this is supernatural. And it's thrown upon the earth. Hail, fire, and blood thrown upon the earth. This is an action, an intentional action. It didn't just happen, it's not a chance. So hail, fire, and blood, this supernatural combination thrown upon the earth. And then what's up with these numbers, right? We saw it throughout. I have it there for you in the notes. A third of this, a third of that, a third of the other thing. Every time one-third is mentioned, here's the idea. First, the three tells us this is God's hand. It's supernatural. It's God's hand at work. Three is his number. The Trinitarian number. The one, the one-third component means it's partial. Not that God is partial. Not that it's just one member of the Trinity doing it. It's that it was a partial judgment. It is God's hand of judgment, and it's partial. So, Reading from verse 6 one more time to emphasize this, or 7. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. 
And these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Why bother going on to the next trumpets? I mean, it's, there's not going to be anything left in short order. But this is not talking about the physical realm. It is God's hand at work, his hand of wrath and judgment. It's a partial judgment on people, the souls that have rejected his grace, and his gospel. That's why this is frightening. This is, this is serious. This is eternity for souls. The second trumpet, something like a mountain thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea, and a third of the sea creatures, and a third of the ships destroyed. Judgment. Now, we could probably parse that out and say, what is, is he, is he judging specific things? Is he judging commerce? You know, a third of the ships. Is he judging, you know, fishing's going to get a lot more difficult? Is he, he's judging the hearts of people. It's always the context. Judging the hearts of people. You're going to see here as we go through this with the hail and the fire and the blood, some Maybe some of you, you already made the connection. You already thought, hey, those things happened in the plagues in Egypt when Moses told Pharaoh to let my people go. And what were some of the plagues? Hail and fire and blood. And well, you know, people were, what's all those? They're not exact. Even as we go through, they're not exactly the same as all the 10 plagues in Egypt that took place there, but they do share this in common. There is this direct correlation as I just mentioned, who was in charge, I mean, who was enacting the plagues in Egypt? God. God was. And he was defeating all the false gods, and he was working on the hearts of the people, not only the Israelites, but the Egyptians. And there was instilling faith in the Israelites and judgment in the Egyptian. And it's not necess- it's not based on at that context, certainly it was Israel and the Egyptian people. Ultimately, it's always the distinction between those who receive by faith and those who reject by pride. It's always That's always the distinction. Receive by faith or reject by pride. And so there's correlation here. It was God who was at work, and the purpose was to judge, to bring to repentance. Same purpose as we just talked about in the opening statements of the trumpets. The third trumpet, a great star named Wormwood descends to the earth. This is not something in our constellation. It's not what we're talking about. We're in the realm of heaven. And so this star that descends named Wormwood, what does that mean? You know, this term Wormwood, this name, This moment right here is the only time in all of Scripture that that word and name is used. Was it used also when he was on the cross, uh, when they were giving him something on the uh, the wormwood and the gall? Uh, Not this word. No, maybe some translations have tried to to make that connection, but it's not this, this word. This word is actually, we look at Jeremiah chapter 9 to help us understand it. 
For the sake of time, I'm not going to read all of chapter 9 of Jeremiah. I encourage you to do that later. But here's the opening verses. Who is the man so wise that he can understand this? To whom has the mouth of the Lord spoken that he may declare it? Why is the land ruined and laid waste like a wilderness so that no one passes through? So these are the questions being asked of God. And the Lord says, Because they have forsaken my law that I set before them and have not obeyed my voice or walked in accord with it, but instead have stubbornly followed their own hearts and have gone after the Baals, false gods, as their fathers taught them. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed this people with bitter food, And give them poisonous water to drink. I will scatter them among the nations whom neither they nor their fathers have known. And I will send the sword after them until I have consumed them. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 9. It's in that context when he says, I will give the people bitter food and poisonous water to drink, that we think we have this correlation between what he's saying in Revelation. With that third trumpet and wormwood descending to the earth, it's a bitter grief. It is a judgment because they have thought They've looked to themselves for salvation instead of to the Lord. And then the fourth trumpet, one-third of the sun, one-third of the moon, and one-third of the stars are darkened. And everybody who has made it through physical science in seventh grade knows immediately that if one-third of the sun was gone, we'd all be dead immediately, right? physical science, we learned that if the earth in its rotation was any further away, it would be a solid block of ice. If it was any closer, it would be instantly incinerated. And so God has orchestrated and put the earth in the exact rotation around the sun where it contains life, supports life. And so if one-third of the sun is all the sun going, how does that happen? You know, does it shrink? I mean... So again, just trying to emphasize the idea here that this is figurative language that we are understanding. It's darkened. Throughout scriptures, what we hear over and over again is the hearts of people darkening, hardening, walking in darkness, and cannot even see the light of Christ. So that one-third of the day and one-third of the night are diminished. These are frightening things because the judgment of God is frightening. And unfortunately, I think what's happened, well, it's just Satan's continual work. He did this in the Garden of Eden. He said to Adam and Eve, is that really what God said? Are you you really going to die if you eat that fruit? I mean, is it really that big of a deal? Just eat from that tree. You're allowed to eat from all the rest of them. Why not that one? It's not... God's judgment isn't all that bad. You really won't die. I don't think he'll keep his promise anyway. We've been hearing that lie all through the history of mankind. And so 
what happens is the law is diminished to the point where people don't think they need the gospel. And the judgment of God really is terrifying. Verse 13, Then I looked and I heard an angel crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth that the blast of the other trumpets that these three angels are about to blow. So there's a little pause. The first four, four trumpets have been blown with God's judgment and then this eagle flies across and says there's three more trumpets and it's going to be worse. You thought the first four were terrifying. Wait for the next three. He even says, whoa, 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 is coming. What does he mean by that? What's this? You know, we don't use, woe is me is about as close as we come to using the word woe anymore. Matthew chapter 23, it's recorded for us where Jesus actually pronounces seven woes. Seven of them. And I'm going to just highlight a few things for them, from, for you from these woes. Not reading everything due to the sake of time. But in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, the religious people, and he calls them hypocrites. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Can you imagine? Jesus is saying you're going to be judged because you've been shutting the door to heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. He goes on and says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you travel across the sea and the land to make a single convert, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. So Jesus pronounces judgment on these religious people that are actually leading people astray, leading people away from the gospel. Woe to you! Blind guides. Well, there's an oxymoron for you. Blind guides. Who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if you swear by the gold of the temple, then you're bound by your oath. Jesus says, you blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple? For it is the temple that has made the gold sacred. You can go on and read, and read some more there. What he's basically saying is, you're living this divided life. You're saying, this is important, but this is not important. And this is what really, you know, we can count on. And these are the things we can't count, whatever. When in fact, Jesus is saying, the only thing you can count on is him. Faith in him. The next one, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, and mercy, and faithfulness. He goes on to say, you, these you ought to have done, the tithing, without neglecting the others. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. So you look good on the outside, but in your heart... It's dark. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones. The seventh, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, 
For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would have not have taken part in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Interesting, right? And Jesus says, Yeah, but you're killing me now. You're seeking to kill me now. You hypocrites. If we had lived then, we would have done something different. And notice, I mean, building tombs and prophets to decorate the monuments rather than making sure we're bringing people in to the kingdom. Woe to you. So, with that in mind, what's Jesus saying? Divine judgment. Divine judgment. And what's the main theme? Hypocrisy. Trying to get people to believe one thing when it's actually something else in our heart. Saying something, but doing something different. The fifth trumpet. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit. So, I just need to pause and reflect on this for a minute. It's not Satan. It's not Satan that he's talking about. Satan doesn't have the key to the bottomless pit. This is an angel directed by Christ to open the bottomless pit. And things come out of it. They don't go into it. So it's not hell. It is a bottomless pit that's going to represent judgment. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions on the earth. And that, I mean, John's trying, this is all figure. First, what are they? They're locusts, then they're scorpions. What? And, and they come from the smoke. This is terrifying. How else can you describe this? They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plants or any tree. They've all been burned up anyway, right? But only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. This doesn't mean they're immortal either. We'll explain that one in a minute. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. Uh, for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair and their teeth like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates, breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. This is not an attack helicopter. <laughs> they have tails and stings like, that stings like scorpions. And their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. So let's talk about this fifth trumpet. The first woe. The first woe. The angel descended to do a job, was given the keys to the bottomless pit to open it up. 
And as I mentioned, the bottomless pit represents this idea of endless. Just keeps coming. When you go to the coffee shop and you look in the menu and it says the bottomless cup of coffee, it means they will keep refilling your coffee until you have had enough. And I don't mean to be facetious, but that's what this idea is about. The bottomless pit is it will keep coming until you have had enough. It is endless until it has served its purpose of repentance and reconciliation, bringing that person to remorse for their sins, turning to the gospel and to Christ himself. So bottomless pit means it is endless until it is stopped. The smoke reflects the darkness, the spiritual darkness that people live in. Spiritual darkness. And what does it do? It blots out the sun, right? It takes away the light. And so in this context, the smoke and the spiritual darkness blots out, blocks the one true light for souls to be saved. Then we have these locusts that are like scorpions. And they're not allowed to damage any of the green things, which is what locusts typically do. Right? I mean, when locusts, even in the context of the scriptures and the plague in Egypt, the locusts came and they ate all the green things. That's what locusts typically do, but not these locusts. And when we look at the description of it, what we're really understanding, what John is trying to get the point across for us, is that these are unearthly. They aren't what we would naturally see occurring on this earth. Locusts that look like scorpions that have tails that sting and breastplates of iron and wings that sound like horses and chariots. This is unearthly. It's back to the idea of supernatural and unexplainable. And so what we're hearing is that not only the smoke is the spiritual darkness, but these locusts represent suffering. Intense, not the seal kind of suffering that we talked about earlier that's common to all, but spiritual suffering. Spiritual suffering. Because it said, who was, who was going to be impacted by these locust scorpions? Those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And then we have torment. It says, for five months they're going to be tormented. Not death. They weren't killing. They were tormenting. Who? The unsealed, the unbelievers. How long? Five months. Any, any, go ahead and throw a, a guess out here. What does the five months mean? As we've been talking about the numbers, the numbers and the figurative use of them in the book of Revelation, any ideas? Because the first time we've really heard this idea of five. Four is the people, maybe one more is the animals. Oh, that's an insight, yeah. Um, I don't think it's what's happening here, but that would, that, would, that would work up the food chain, so to speak. <laughs> if God is three, the corporate humanity is four, why not animals be five? I like that, Arvid. It's the half of ten. Ten being complete 
We understand that, right? Anytime 10 is used, it's the complete number. So 5 means it's incomplete. They were allowed to do this, but they did not complete the judgment. The judgment wasn't done in this moment. Giving opportunity for repentance. Giving opportunity to receive the gospel. So it's half of 10 but I do like that, that three, four, and five. Under the authority of the destroyer. That's, you know, this king that's mentioned. Oh, we got to wrap up. Um, the king that's mentioned here that these locusts have to are serving under. It's under the, the authority of the destroyer. So it automatically means destroying what? That's the question we need to answer. What are they destroying? What are these locusts turned scorpions destroying? Pride. Pride. Remember the seven woes that Jesus spoke of? The hypocrisy and the pride. What are the, is the destroyer destroying? Our pride. In verse 6 of chapter 9, it talks about wanting to die. This is not referring to mass suicide or not being able to kill yourself, or things of that nature, or that nobody will die and everybody's immortal for a time. What it simply means is that you are so worried, you are plagued by despair, you live with fear. That's the idea. The utter despair that people experience because of the darkness that they, ha they live in. So what's the greatest sin? These are our last two. The greatest sin? Idolatry in the form of pride. Idolatry in the form of pride. And the greatest judgment is separation from God. Jesus Christ, after all of his beatings and accusations and mocking and being nailed to a cross cried out with the loudest grief when he said, Why have you forsaken me? The greatest judgment is separation from God. Father in heaven, we ask, Lord, that you would fill our hearts with comfort, comfort in knowing that we who are robed in Christ's righteousness are secure in your, in your hands that you are listening to our prayers even now. And Father, we ask that you would fill us with compassion for those who are still facing your judgment. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.